sound means because it's eight o'clock here on the east coast live from area 51 from the ice hockey bandage room of the hard rock hotel and casino in area 51 welcome to another edition of sci-fi saturday night i am the dome joining us tonight from the four color vault of comics in manchester new hampshire the more than dead redhead tonight and illustrator x gaga ooh la la Uh, we're off to a rollicking start, kids. From the Alston Brighton Hellmouth in Boston, welcome, Kriana. Hiya. And from Erie, Indiana, Job, are you with us? I am. And can I just say to everyone out there, happy free comic book day. Oh, absolutely. Uh, happy free comic book day. <laughs> if you missed it, just be sure you're on the lookout because every once in a while there are these free comic book days and they're awesome. Go down to your local comic book shop or support the business because honestly, it's great. I was uh, down at my local comic book shop today and we had the 501st out there, the Stormtroopers. Uh, they're so they cute, there. aren't they? Yeah, and the kids just went wild. It was a great time. There's tons of stuff going on. Hey, we know and all your moves. Redheaded and Illustrator X were at the local place in Manchester. At double, uh, midnight. double midnight. Double midnight. We saw um, uh, Sci-Fi Saturday Night friend uh, Sarah Richard was doing yep. a signing there Aww. and uh, cranking out the artwork as usual. And we just we got she, she was catching all day wedding. Yeah. yeah, I figured it was like after five o'clock. It's like oh my god, there's not going to be anything left. Tumbleweeds, and they were still going strong. I was going to say they had to push people out the door when they closed. So yeah, they had a good day. So anyhow, we've got a show tonight. It's one hell of a show. Uh, joining us in our first half hour is uh, Hunter Lagore, whom, if you haven't heard of before, you're going to be simply enchanted with because I am so far. Hi, Hunter. How are you? Hello, and thank you for the introduction. Oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> Hunter is, is a terrific uh, uh, author. I've been reading uh, one of her short stories uh, all afternoon, and... Uh, <laughs> and I am going to also... I'm looking forward to talking about uh, the Last Man Standing anthology. I've actually been reading. What have I been reading? Dragon Queen. Oh, very. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. It's a fun story. Oh, it sure as hell is. Woohoo! Anyhow, <laughs> in our it's second, it's not as bleak as some of the stuff I read. I, I have been trying to be a little bit more happy in some of the endings and. Uh, I have some regular readers who actually read that one and thought for sure it was going to end tragically, so I won't give away the ending, but it, it at least ends a little bit upbeat. Oh, please don't, because I'm loving it so far. I'm, I'm okay. really... It's been one of those things while I was putting the show together today, I was just kind of reading it and then putting it together and just kind of, crap, well, wait, I need to get back to... Oh, crap, no, I need to get back to... Oh, 
you get a very, very engaging style of writing. You really oh, do. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, in our second half hour, we're supposed to be joined by Mike Hinman, who I don't see on yet. <coughs> do I? <coughs> I get this Mr. Hinman from Airlock Alpha is supposed to be joining us for a rollicking game of truth or bullshit. And if he, if he if he blows us off again, we're going to hit him. <laughs> I'm going to hit him. Actually, no, wait, he might like that. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, darn. And I, and I was just about to go grab my golf club. <laughs> uh, thank you, Mr. Woods. We'll be talking to you later about your $620 million. <laughs> In any way. Uh, and then I guess towards the end of the show, uh, we have another special guest who's joining us. Uh, yes, uh, Travis Roy of the Granite State Skeptics. Will be joining us to talk about a uh, an upcoming event at Grand State Comic Con that he's going to be joining us at. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> I might even be there because I really like this thing that he's doing. Please hang up and try again. Yeah, me too. So anyhow, Hunter, uh, since you're here and since you're with us, we're going to be talking about science fiction for oh, I don't know, the next hour or so. And it's not just going to be, you know, your stuff. We're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff. Feel free to join in at any time. I will, Please. for sure. I, I hope you bring up the show V, because that's a great topic. <laughs> well, you just brought it up, so let's talk about it. Let's start. Oh. Okay, uh, I hate it, but... <laughs> <laughs> what are they doing wrong as far as... Um, you know, there was this great series back in the day, and then they come out with a new one. And I think one of the big things that jumps out that's not right is that you never really see the aliens or the visitors or the bees really out in society. It's like five people. That's it. Hmm. I, I think the big thing that they did wrong is, is the same thing that most network-affiliated... or It's the same thing that, that Fox does all the time, which is not let the writers write. Mm. And, I mean, ABC has just had their hands in this since since the very beginning. And it, it just, as a writer, you know that the more people who are, are giving you input while you're in the planning and, and implementation stage, the more difficult it becomes to try and figure out exactly where you want to go. And your, your vision gets diluted along the way. It was a good vision. The original show was a great vision in its time, in, in the same way that, you know, uh, vintage uh, Battlestar Galactica, in its own way, was, was kind of cool. Um, oh, yeah. The difference is that the new Battlestar Galactica, when it came out, was uh, all granted gritty, depressing, and, and, you know, you really wanted to cut yourself a lot of times, but it was very good. Um, this one, I, I just can't like. <sighs> Despite I mean- Morena Baccarin. Uh, let's face it. The original starred the Beastmaster. They're getting outdone <laughs> by the Beastmaster people. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't, you can't beat the Beastmaster. You're absolutely right. No, no. That's my point. We can beat the Beastmaster. It's not difficult. So it's even more depressing that they haven't been able. They to. haven't exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> there is a lot of amateurish writing. I think there's not a lot of surprises. It seems. Um, I agree with what you said about the um, the producers coming in, even the fact that you never hear the word aliens or that they're only called the bees, um, sometimes takes something away. But the, the 
element of surprise isn't there, and it's, it's almost like they're just, it's like two mothers, and they can't just keep focusing around the two mothers, and there's not a lot of conflict there. It just kind of keeps spinning back, spinning back. Well, there's, there's two mothers and there's two children, and at some point, as an audience, you have to care about one of the four of them. Right. And I don't. <laughs> you know, really you know, I think I, I think that it might not be so much the interaction of the <clears throat> of the network so much as the writers just attempting to do something that that is esoteric and, and you know progressive in in television and they're missing the point. You know, great television has a formula. It always has. And I think that they're trying to do something that goes beyond that, but they're missing some of the major um, ways that great television influences an audience. Yeah. I haven't yeah. watched much of it. I haven't been involved because I don't really see any point to it. it there, there was never anything engaging in any of the episodes that I saw. Wait, did you watch that cluster, that first four of that cluster, before they went on hiatus for six months? Oh, uh, I was going to, but I had to comb my hair that night. Okay. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I think I was I busy watching like the old got, person. As soon as it started, <laughs> it was over. Yeah, I mean, the, the worst problem was, if you cared, in three weeks it was gone. And the real problem was that I don't think that many people cared that it was gone. <laughs> no. Yeah, there was certainly fun. no public outcry. Nope. (laughs) And then they stuck it at 10 o'clock at night on a Tuesday. Um, And again, I think they try to employ some of the tactics like Lost or even Flash Forward where you have like a multi, um, you know, multicast where, you know, different races, different nationalities and things like that that sort of make it interesting. But again, it's just I, I totally agree. There's just not much. Um, really going on, or like you said, maybe it's maybe that is what it is. You don't really care. They didn't really develop anybody other than here's a mother with her son, and there's a conflict. Yeah, and and there's there's a mother with a daughter, and there's a conflict. And and hello, who cares? But but that brings up a good point, which goes into another story. There are all kinds of uh, lost style television shows out there that don't succeed, i.e., heroes. Oh, wait, it's coming back. It's its own little thing because, like, the first season was awesome. I kind of remember the second season being okay. Or was the second season when the writer's strike? Yes. No, the second season was the writer's strike with where they spent half the time in Japan. The second season was And then it was kind of like, what? So I think it really got off track during that second season, but the first season was just just so good. And if they just stuck to that, you know, Theory, the original premise, had that story arc end and sort of stayed with, you know, what was going on and the acceptance of these people, powers or lack thereof, um, I think it would have turned out a lot better than it did. Well, I mean... So, the the other piece of that was that by the third season, we had at least had some background with certain characters, and there are multiple characters, and some people don't like that. But at least we have background in the first two seasons, and then we got to season three, it's like, hey, let's throw the baby out with the bathwater and start all over again with people you don't even know, except for our famous character who's making us some money, and go from there. And it's like, wait a second, what happened to this character I cared about, or that character? It was it was like, ugh. The worst, the worst part about Heroes is it's coming back. 
Uh, well, I mean, that's that won't die. That's the point. I I stopped watching after the first season because the first season's finale was so uninteresting. I I was completely taken aback by the the. The first season's that episode. The first season's finale was fine until the last five minutes. Yeah, that's well put. But there's, I mean, yeah. but there's the last there's, five minutes of that show. I just wanted to punch out the TV because it was stupid. There was there was no reason to do what they did if they were going to move forward. That was not the way to do it. Siler needed to die. Right. End of discussion. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. But, but it's see, much too popular. It, see, this is the thing. Heroes is is a perfect comic book on on film because like many comic book series it starts out it's like wow what a great new series and then it's then the writer you like goes away after the first mini series yeah. and then you're stuck with a mediocre team and then you know as readers drop off they assign it to worse writers and they bring in more characters that you don't care about it's very much comic book in that way, and even in even in episode, even in season five now, because if if a comic book has legs, even though it's been screwed with, they will bring back the original writer to do like a huge, you know, hey, look, I'm back kind of right. deal, and that's what they're doing in season five. They're bringing back Ryan Fuller who was the original writer in season one and was the head writer for Pushing Daisies, which was Woo-hoo! a freaking uh, marvelous pushing, show. Yeah, pushing that was Daisies, awesome. Pushing Daisies was the greatest show. I mean, it really was. I, I loved that show. And, and the fact that it got canned, it was just, it was unbelievable. It was the Chai McBride kiss of death. <laughs> yeah. Chai McBride curse. Ugh. It really was. I mean, I, there's not a show that he's been on that hasn't gone... What more than thirteen weeks? Even Ted McGinnis. No, 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 no. Boston Public was on for a good two or three seasons. That's true. Boston. Oh, that's I right. Love that's Boston Public. I take that back. He's but, not a bad actor. No, no, he's not. no, no, he's not. But you know what? God forbid he ever teams up with Joss Whedon because oh, that show won't that show won't last ten minutes before Fox pulls the plug. You know, it probably has already happened. We just would never know about it. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one was still because it was canceled before it happened. It's kind of a time, you know, a continuum. Wow. It's a paradox. <laughs> wow. It ended hey, listen, before it started. That, that brings us to a really, really interesting article. Uh uh, at a group from uh, uh, Panels on Pages, uh, which is a kind of an interesting website about comic books. They brought up uh, an article about uh, Joss Whedon's six top character deaths. Ooh. And they listed them uh, from six to first, which I really, really disagree with a lot of. So can I can I just say, say something? The sure. fact that five of the top six are from Buffy is ridiculous. I agree. Yep. Um, Tara McClay is number six. Ooh, I'll take that one because I was in complete shock when that happened. That was so out of nowhere that it hit. It had the shock effect. I well, think that they were really looking for, and you you can't look at the death of Tara without looking at the death of Warren, the guy who right. killed her, because that set off when Willow was so upset. The character of Willow was so upset by the death of her partner Tara that she literally skinned him alive. 
<laughs> which was awesome. Which was completely <laughs> awesome. And then she went Dork Willow, which was like even the, more awesome. Season. And then the, the topper being the fact that the actress who plays Tara, friend of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, Amber Benson, is actually boyfriend-girlfriend with the guy who, the actor who played Warren, which is kind of creepy when you think about it. No, the funniest thing is that every time we talk to Amber, all she can remember is when X was telling her about how you screamed when she died. I did. I did. Oh. That, that show, number one, made me cry more than any other show on TV, which says something to Joss and all the actors and everything. But I also screamed a lot. And poor X went deaf several times because of that show. <laughs> what? Are we still on? <laughs> God, I hate sci-fi Saturday night. We should go get pie. Okay, number five. Ooh, number five on the list was Doyle from Angel. I love Doyle. He was so cute with his little demon face that went all blue when he sneezed. Blue and spiky, yeah, which kind of fun. And then he was gone, and I was sad. Well, he was. They, they wrote him out after the first season because he was a schmuck as an actor. Yeah, he he asked for a raise. Well, he didn't ask for a raise. He asked for a renegotiation of his contract. Well, he was contracted for two years. And you know what? You don't. You don't. You don't play that. You, you no, contract. not in your first season. Hey, right. we bought you a, a, a 1997 Ford Escort. What else do you want? What the hell else do you want? <laughs> I mean, you know, he's a great character. It was a shame to see him go. Number four was Joyce Summers, uh. and that was my pick. And I'll tell you why. Wheaton has a way of making you care deeply about characters and then taking them out. Absolutely. And I mean, I don't know many other writers who have the guts to do that, to be honest with you, to sacrifice a major character. And it doesn't matter when, when within the storyline he does it. Joyce Summers was taken out, I think, in season three. No, 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 way after that. Yeah. Or five. I'm sorry, season five. Season five. Yep. And of all the ways she could have died, she died of an aneurysm. Yep. A natural death. And it was so unexpected after everything that had gone on and so sudden. It was beautifully written. It was, it was, from a dramatic standpoint, just exquisite. Absolutely not, exquisite. Not to mention another piece of, uh, well, not trivia, but that, that particular episode also had the kiss between Tara and Willow, which I still use when I teach my one class about human sexuality, the difference between when Ellen DeGeneres had the kiss on her show, uh, and yeah. it was so uh, everywhere, and everywhere and their brother had something to say about it, and that kiss, which was so realistic and so from the heart, that and, and nothing was written about it. Nobody said a word about it. Okay, yeah, but it was just so natural. It was, you won't, the thing is, though, now, as soon as you, you mentioned that that was something you taught in human sexuality, all of our listeners are now like a zombie teaches human <laughs> sexuality. <laughs> I yeah, well. Part, you know? <laughs> That's what can I tell you? 
I want to take that class, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I think you already you did. You want to take my class, baby, let me tell you. We have fun. Oh, you know it, darling. Okay. <laughs> Number three on the list, Angel. And I disagree with this one completely. I, I mean, Angel dies once during Buffy the Vampire Slayer when Buffy kills him after opening a portal to hell. After being a jerk for like a season. Yeah. And that was... Going back to Angelus. Right. And that was in season three. And you know what? I didn't care. Uh Uh-huh. Didn't care. Just didn't give a rat's ass. Okay. As a teenager at the time, I cried. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. I remember that. I wore black lipstick and black nail polish for quite a while after that. Yes, you did. A girl wearing that? That's unheard of. I know. I know. I had a picture of him in my locker. Wow. You had an account at Hot Topic? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Okay. Number two on their list, I think should actually have been number one. It is the one death in the whole Whedon universe that totally, totally devastated me. And that was the death of Wash Washburn. Uh, And you know, I mean, I am not a Buffy person. Okay, I've seen the first few seasons, but I watched them way after they aired. I was not interested in Buffy when it was on, or Angel. And so, Firefly was my first, you know, entrance into the Whedon universe. And when I saw Serenity, and I, I mean, it's just one of those moments where you, the first time you see it after knowing who Wash is and getting to know him in Firefly and seeing him all through Serenity, you just, you just say no, I, I, no, I don't want that, that, no, I don't want that to happen. That should not happen. Who cried because, in the theater? Me. I did. Me. I did. We all did. I, I will never forget. But I mean that. I mean. He's just that character who is the antithesis of death. He's always lively. He's always yes. and and his relationship with with his wife is just unbelievable. And yes, as, you know that that's not the character you want to see go. That's not the person you're expecting. And it was so unexpected that it, it, it you know it's still shocking. I can remember sitting in the theater and the and the theater was full and. I had not purposely, I think it was the second day it had opened, and he lands, and I take a deep sigh, and I, and I start to smile, and then the thing comes through the windshield, and I just, oh, and my heart just stopped. Yes. It was heartbreaking. It, it was so well done and so well written, and the last character you expected to go I mean, if Jane had gone, or even Zoe, court, you know. Nah, I did, I, I, well, I, if Zoe I, had I, gone, you know, she's I, the big fighting Amazon. At least it would have made a little bit of sense, you know. You know, I, I never, I will never forget this. Um, I, I had just started on the show. It was back in our terrestrial format back in the day, and oh, <laughs> right. Clear Channel. And I come in. I'm like, hey guys, what's going on? Everyone's ready for the show. And Dome, you were on your phone, and you're just like, the phone is almost vibrating and jumping out of your hand. And you're like, you're like, 
dude, talk to my daughter. And you hand the phone to me. Yes. And Brianna, and I'm like, hello? Oh, my God. You said. Oh, what a. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Get my therapist wife on the phone because I cannot handle this. I was like, it's okay. I'm sure. It's not okay, though. It's just not. <laughs> it will never no. be okay. <laughs> freaked me out I was like oh god do I have a black suit for a funeral oh <laughs> uh, it, it was uh, yeah it was it was pretty ugly it was but what I, does that say about Joss though that he can write these characters that people as you said you just get so attached to them that but he the way he writes the deaths it, you're not seeing them happen now, now can I can I contrast for a minute here, uh, with, sure. with different writing, Torchwood? Okay, Torchwood started killing its cast off. What season two? Yeah, actually, season one. Yeah, That's how we got Gwen. Can, can I just say how upset I was when Jack died? <laughs> <laughs> Jack was that when Fox killed him? Die. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, no, but so they don't do great character development anyway on Torchwood, except for you know the Welsh girl with the bad teeth that nobody likes. I like the Welsh girl with bad teeth. <laughs> well, you, you're the one then. <laughs> so season two, they start doing all this great character development with Owen and Tosh, and just as you get the barest taste of their backstory, they're gone in one yep. shot. Oh. And it's like, well, whatever, I guess. It, it was it was like it was a deal because okay there's like a third of the cast, but it was only a deal in the fact that there was a third of the cast. But don't forget but, that Owen stayed mm. zombie wise. Owen mm. stayed a, a lot. Well, he was just dead, but he was around. Until Tosh yeah. died, and then he really but, really died. And the pieces yeah, of it started hurt, falling then, off. Then they all went. But, and then and then so who do you have left? You have Yanto, Jack. And Gwen, and then Yanto dies so senselessly in Children of Earth. It was just like, well, we kind of want to get rid of him, and the rest of the cast is gone, so um, I guess he's just going to walk in here with Jack, and since Jack can't die, he'll just uh, come back. And then... Um... And Jack ends up at a singles bar on Uranus. <laughs> so, so... I would touch that now, line with a tenfold. <laughs> we, we have in the cast pregnant Welsh girl... And her boyfriend, or her husband at this husband. point, I suppose. Uh, at this point, I just want to say, uh, Hunter? Yeah. Yeah, hi. Um, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Everything's been out for quite a while now. If you see any of these shows, shh, you might want to like, turn away. Yeah, X gets really upset when we start talking about TV shows that are 10 years old that he hasn't seen. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some of them. It's funny that you say about Torchwood, because about the time I was going to tune in, I was getting an update from somebody, and they're like, no, don't bother. Everybody's dead. And, you know, anybody that was good. And it's almost interesting to think about almost the opposite of maybe what Joss Wheaton's doing, where they're just getting rid of everybody. Maybe it's for shock value. Maybe it's because they think it's going to keep. I don't, it doesn't sound like you're, you're going to keep a, a viewer if you're getting rid of everyone. Well, see, that's what sane people would think. But see, I still think it was to clear the way for the new doctor. I still think that's the case. But hopefully, hopefully Jack will still be around, and I think he will be. They'd be quite foolish to get rid of Jack. Completely. But yet, 
I mean, but, but yet we're sitting here and uh, BBC has still not negotiated a new contract for Torchwood. Fox has dropped plans to bring Torchwood to America. Yay. And who are they talking to? TBS? DNT? <laughs> well, USA? Let's face, it, though, a- let's face it, though. It would have a better chance for success on those channels than it would on Fox. Oh, yeah. I think, I think it would That's fit true. great on Sifi. and him isn't here to hear you call it that damn (laughs) speaking of that channel that hinman renamed that we mock him for um they're they're getting a cooking show wait 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 we're not done with this list yet oh only got to number two well we can be done with this list it's lame Uh, yeah because number one is really lame And and i just wanted to say that number one is possibly the lamest death of all and that's the death of Jenny Callender on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And from, for all of you going, who? Giles' girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. Second yeah. season. Who was there Actually, for like two minutes? No, she, I mean, she was there a lot at the end of season one and all through season two. That's like two minutes, Buffy time. Although the whole thing of when Giles found her death, that was pretty cool. With the whole roses, the way that Angelus had set it up. That was awesome, yeah. It was. I'd have to say the lamest death of any Whedon uh, character would be any series that Joss Whedon has put his hand in the box. Snap. I mean. Anyway, Sci-Fi Channel is getting a cooking show. (laughs) Why not? They're already doing wrestling. It's not about cannibals. Apparently, the host is going to be this guy that everyone hates from Top Chef. No, honestly... I never thought he was that bad on Top Chef. Really? I mean, Did you watch Top Chef? Yeah, I, I watched it casually. I wasn't, you know, a, a week to week. guy? No, no, no. It was Marcel. Oh, Marcel. He, he, was the, he was the wine guy. He's, he a great, he's a great chef. Ass. Well, maybe. But stick, ass. Hmm. <laughs> I but, I mean, yeah, well, well I mean... You never know. It's a new series. I mean, it would be really great if it was Alton Brown, right? Oh, my God. That <laughs> would be the best. Because he actually does science. He, but there's no way. It's, the concept of the show is not that type of a show. It's, the, the, it's pretty clear that what they want to do is a reality television show about a catering company that, that does something and then talks about the interesting gastro... Who knows what the hell Siffy wants to do with their with their lineup? They've got wrestling on on no the other night. No oh, we discussed that. Yes, they, they're so totally out of touch with their own with their own people right now that it's kind of sad. Hey, but guys, more interesting, yeah. Actually, I uh, just want to throw out: it is time for trivia. Damn. It's time for trivia. trivia. It was a trickle. What? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are you ready for it, Anna? Um, sure. Go for it. Okay. Tonight's trivia question comes from the Whedon verse, yeah. and the first person who can answer it on our webpage 
Now, I we, just want to say to our very special fan, give someone else a shot, sweetheart. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> you know who you are. Name the character and the actress who played the mother of Connor on Angel. <laughs> well, that was melodramatic. <laughs> Thank you. I try to be melodramatic. Plays the Is mother it? of your mom. In the mother of your mom <laughs> on your mama. <laughs> and Kriana, is that posted? Uh, is now. <laughs> and if you win, you will win. What will they win tonight? They'll win a copy of Robin Sloan's book called Annabelle Scheme. A very cool little science friction novel that is a limited edition. And, it, and if you're listening to this on the podcast, there is actually maybe a 2% chance that this is still open, so go check the website. If no one has answered correctly, you could win. You could. So if you're listening to us on iTunes or listening to us off our website after the live cast, check and see if it's still available. And if you know the answer, drop it on in and let us know. Once again, the character and the actress who was the mother of Connor on Angel. One of my all-time favorite characters in the Whedon verse. Yeah, yeah, you just like her boobs. Connor? Or no, the, the mother. mother. Did she breastfeed? Shut up. <laughs> speaking, speaking of dark characters. Oh, I, I'm so glad you weren't going to speaking of breastfeeding. Go ahead. <laughs> speaking of dark characters, we have a we finally have a date for Dark Knight number three, which is slated for a July 2012 release. Yes, so, a little bit more than a year till we get uh, the new Batman movie. I know I'm excited, but maybe no one else is. Although, um, according to the, the story that I think uh, Dome posted, it's going to be in the same cluster as Avengers, Battleship, um, and the new Spider-Man movie. And what's ST2? Star Trek 2. The Star new Star Trek, Trek 2. The new Star Trek 2. Wow. That one's coming wait, up wait, that wait. quick. Wait, we restarted the numbering? Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Well, the last one sucked then, and this one's going to be good. Okay. The last one didn't suck. The last, the last one was, quite one was good. great. It was good in its own and, way. And, and I think they've, they've broken slightly the curse special way. You know, odd number, odd, odd number Star Trek movies suck, and even ones are good. I really think they broke the mold with this one. Uh, I liked it a lot, and, and, I, and I think this has a lot, of, uh, a, lot of, a lot of good things going for it. Spidey reboot? You know what? Not going to bother. Yeah. Battleship? Who the hell knows? Avengers? I'm there. Waiting. Yes. I'm there. Dark Knight? I don't know. I don't hang know. Chris second. Nolan? Dumb. Hang on a second. Hey. Java, who's the bad guy in uh, the new Batman? I'm not sure. It's not going to be Joker. <laughs> I'm going oh, to take a wild be. stab at that one and say it's not going to be the Joker. Oh, it could be. It That's should true. be, though. It should be, but but I don't know if they're if they're going to go with that route because it's kind of um, I don't think they would feel safe enough trying to recast the Joker. I mean, I, I, I and there are plenty of other interesting characters they could bring back the Scarecrow. I mean, or the you know, Penguin. The Penguin would be an, an amazing choice, but I don't think that it quite fits into the Dark Knight universe. How about the Riddler? Riddler would be awesome. Riddler would be or, or, or Poison Ivy. Riddler. <gasps> oh. Ivy. 
Yeah. Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn. Catwoman. And I would just die. Two Face. Harley Quinn. I, I, you know what? I bet it's going to be Two Face. It could be. It could be. They did lay the groundwork for that. They yes. laid the groundwork for it, so it's probably they're probably going to go with Two Face as a minor character and then bring in somebody else. I, you know, I would venture a guess as Catwoman because who doesn't like a cat suit? Yeah. <laughs> uh, not me. I'm good for that. I'm in with that. <laughs> uh, speaking of some other movie news, um, this is one that I think is really awesome just because I love old movies, but apparently someone stumbled across a film canister in Buenos Aires, Buenos Aires that has 25 extra minutes of Metropolis. Nice. Oh. Wow. Oh which nice. which oh means that they're restoring, they've restored the film. It's being aired in select theaters across the country in, next month. And then in November, we're going to get both a DVD and a Blu-ray version of the what they call the complete oh. uh Metropolis, which includes not only the 25 minutes, but the original film score, the complete original film score, okay, which nice. is unbelievable. If you don't know what we're talking about, Metropolis is pretty much the first science fiction movie ever. Um, and uh, if, you, if you haven't seen it, go see it because it's it's amazing. It's go see it. It's it's not the first. I think the first man on the moon was the first one in 1902. But this is the first one that is oh my god awesome. It, it has it has you know it has a, a a class structure. It's got robots. It's got androids. It's got that wonderful to. German expressionism. Oh. Yes, yes. It's just it's it's a wonderful film, and you should definitely see it. I and. The trailer is up on Apple. Uh, trailers.apple.com, right? If you'd like to see it, and that includes some of the clips from the rest, re, new re, restoration with the new uh, minutes. Wow. One of the ooh, most, ooh. one of the most important parts that they found in the in the footage was when uh, um, his name goes to see the statue. Um, the 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 upper society has a has a, this big statue uh, that they that it's important to them in some way, but that was a completely missing part of the movie and they found that footage which is supposed to be really important to the film i don't know wait wow. i'm x no spoilers <laughs> well it was released in 19 whatever 27 27 yeah when yes. when x was 15 oh yeah. <laughs> yes that's, that's right. okay when dome was 25 so shut up <laughs> speaking, of people, speaking of people with a lifetime like x we do have jonah hex we've got the trailer for jonah hex posted which looked really cool. Yeah, it actually yeah, does. Yeah, it does. It I'm does. a fan of John Malkovich, and, you know, I'm going to... Malkovich, Malkovich. Mm. Uh, I'll, I'll go up and see... I'm definitely going to go see that. No. no. All right, guys. Uh, uh, I'd like to uh, take a minute and bring Hunter in now. Oh, I'd like to we have to bring a guest in? Yeah, we do. We have a guest? We do. <laughs> it's been so comfortable talking to you. Been well, waiting for us. I was going to say the very patient, very, very, very patient. Uh, Hunter Lagore holds a BA in history and finishing her MFA in creative writing. She enjoys mixing and bending genres rather than limiting herself to one. Her work has appeared in uh, Miranda Literary Magazine, Renaissance Magazine, Mirror Dance, and. The Liar of Crows, which will be serialized in Yesteryear Fiction. She has her own little site called 30 Stories in 30 Genres, dot, uh, the world in 30 stories.com. And. What? Yeah, I know. 
she's she's doing a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and she she is the the anthologist for something called the Last Man Anthology, a print publication dedicated to catastrophic literature and poetry as a tribute to Mary Shelley and her novel, The Last Man. Welcome, my dear. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you. I've been enjoying this uh, conversation about science fiction. Um, The blog, just because you threw it out there, um, I started that in January as sort of a way to, um, you know, engage myself and grow as a writer in my own way. And so I randomly took um, 30, you know, 30 places in in the world and put them in a hat and pulled them out, and then I took 30 genres, and, you know, I had to stretch to come up with different genres, but, you know, went across the gamut from, you know, like, a travel to, you know, vampire to sci-fi to teen, experimental, and then I matched those with the country, and so the, the blog is basically dedicated to sort of that writer's odyssey through 30 stories and through 30 genres, so I'm actually on Pit Stop 9. Um, which is, I'm at St. Lucia, and it is a vampire story. So, it's an interesting little endeavor because, you know, sometimes it doesn't match up so well. You know, like I had a a Ukrainian Western, and I didn't know anything about either. (laughs) Yeah, so it's definitely a challenge at times. Um, You know, I've gotten some good ones. Like, I actually think St. Lucia and vampire won't be too hard, but I do, um, you know, do a lot of research on the, the area because I don't know anything about St. Lucia, you know, at all. Um, and also try to think about the genre and, you know, what can we do to break new ground and do something different and not be cliche, you know, at the same time. So so let's talk about Last Man Anthology for a little bit because that's the one that actually um, one of the old hosts of the show had seen your ad in Craigslist uh asking for submissions and he sent it to me and said this looks interesting why don't you give him a give him a shout and, and leave it to dr k uh to, to come up with something and it did look interesting and i looked at the website again? say again what is he a doctor of again he, he's a freelance gynecologist as I <laughs> from which university um university of well never mind uh, <laughs> He's a special case. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> and, and I looked at the, the Last Man Anthology website, which we will post, and I just kind of went, what a cool idea. It's, it's, definitely, uh, it's definitely something that I'm very passionate about. Um, you know, not to, I, I won't give the book away. Um, I think The Last Man is one of Mary Shelley's you know, top books. I mean, she did some short stories. She's most known, obviously, for Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus. Um, What's interesting, though, about The Last Man, her novel, The Last Man, is that she sort of opens it up, you know, in, I think she wrote it, like, 1826, somewhere around there. And she actually ties, um, and this was a tradition that she did, and there was other writers at the time doing this, where she ties her prophecy, her message to um, one of the sibyls back in like ancient times. I think she she chose one of the sisters in Roman times, and then it kind of even segues back to like the Oracle of Delphi. And so by trying to say, oh, I went into this cave, I found this this prophecy, and then writes this book, she's sort of trying to give herself credibility in what she's prophesizing. And so. In the same sense, when we're, you know, as an editor for this anthology, 
we're looking for submissions. We're looking to sort of show what's, what's the prophecy of our time. Because um, I'm kind of linking it to her, so I'm almost linking it to her and then to ancient times and then, you know, reaching out to writers to say, what's, what's our future look like? What's the catastrophe? What's the disaster uh, going to be for our time? So, and there's tons of stories out there, um, and we've definitely seen tons of stories. So, uh, with definitely different, um, you know, themes, anything from, I actually, I, I had one the other day, it was The Last Chocolate Bar, which is a very engaging read. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So what made you decide to, like, throw it out in as many different odd places as you could and say, I'm looking for stories about this. Check out this website. How, how did you decide that this was the way to go about putting this together? I think that's probably because I, I'm a big believer of, um, of, of different cultures and bringing different people together. Um, even as a reader, I tend to read, um, I try at least once a month to read a different writer from a different country. So like I'll go out of my way to try to find something, um, you know, like from South America maybe this month or, you know, try to find a French, like I just finished an, uh, uh, The Boy with the Cuckoo Clock Heart, which was a French author. I try to go out of my way to get different writers because I do think that we all have a different world experience. So when I did post the ad, I threw it out there. And as a matter of fact, this week um, I heard from somebody from Germany, which I was I was almost surprised. I'm like, how did they find out about that? I'm not sure. Um, I talked to somebody else in um, Beijing. Um, I did actually. We have we are in the acceptance process, and um, actually the first two pieces. One is from Johannesburg, um, you know, South Africa, and the other one is from the UK. So, um, but it's all over the United States too, and I value like everyone's voice, um, you know, in the process. So we get like what we all think about as catastrophe, not just what we think about in the U.S., so to speak. So you kind of throw it out on the wind and see what comes back at you. And yeah. it comes back at you from all over the world. And then yeah. your work begins. And what, what was the last part? And then your work begins. Oh my God, yeah. Well, I will tell you one of the things that, um, this is not only about putting out really good fiction, but it's really about supporting the writer too. Um, one of the things that we do offer, and it's a very hard thing to offer, um, is that we actually do critique, you know, at, at, the, at a minimum, like two pages of everyone's work. And I get a lot of new writers, I get, you know, people with credentials, so it's a, a real big mix, but I will take that time, and, you know, and all my editors do, and we go back and try to say, well, we're saying no, or, but this is why. This Again, it's just one opinion, but this is sort of how we read it. This was missed, or... Um, hey, you know, it's completely formatted wrong, you know, you didn't even have your name on it, you know, it was just how it would look if you wanted to, you know, submit it again. So we really do try to take the time and say to the writer, um, you know, here's some tools or some tips. So again, we're fostering community and it's, it's less about, um, you know, this is the only way to write. It's more about how can we help you to turn out better work, maybe not for us, but for someone else or for, for yourself, you know. So... Now you're getting submissions via email, via snail mail. Uh, just email, actually. Just email. Okay. Yeah, I'm doing everything on online myself, and then we do send it back. We use the track changes um, and try to be as timely as we can, and like I said, as, as supportive as we can. There's plenty of stuff that I've seen where it's like, wow, this is such an interesting. 
concept, but it's just not quite there. And if I feel real passionate about it, I will try to work with different writers. Um, you know, sometimes they can turn it around. Some, sometimes they can't. I have had a couple that, like, thank you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try, but I may not make your deadline, that kind of a thing. So. so now you and there are two other editors who work with you on this? Uh, there's two, and actually we're signing up another person that's going to start taking on a little bit more of our marketing. And then we have um, sort of like, I call them almost like the peanut gallery, where um, I do have sort of like silent readers, where, you know, sometimes two of us will be really passionate about one piece, and then someone's not. <laughs> and then we kind of like bring it to someone else and say, well, what do you think? Do, you know, keep us in line. Does it have a last theme? Because that's one of the things, it's easy to find catastrophe and disaster, but we're trying to like really bring in that isolation of, it, of something being the last. Um, and, you know, having more of the science fiction um, theme, though, you know, I've gotten a few, like, historic um, and contemporary stories also. So. Man, where do I get that job? I want to be the silent reader. <laughs> <laughs> you could definitely email me and be the silent reader, for sure. We definitely, I, I do meet people all the time, and I'm like, hey, if you want to be a reader, let me know. You guys, if you wanted, um, you know, are more than welcome. I, I do am looking for judges, because at the end of the... Uh, you know, when we're finally going to print, whoever's in there, we're going to do like uh, a judging, like a one, two, and three, and give away, you know, just a, a complimentary copy of Mary Shelley's The Last Man. So if you guys want to sign up as judges, that would be fine. That would be fantastic. We would, we'd love to do that um, live on the show. Oh, God, oh, That would yeah. be great. We would absolutely love to do that live on the show. And having, as an editor for... Um, I, I'm not going to mention what, but as a scholastic, <laughs> no, as a scholastic magazine um, at a small New England university, um, and we put out our own magazine every year, and go pouring through poems and short stories and so forth. Uh, just reading all of it sometimes can be pretty overwhelming. So you guys have a really big job ahead of you. Oh, absolutely. We're about halfway, and we've done pretty good. We got a little bit behind this week. Um, one of our editors was actually in London and got stuck there, which was good for her. Um, when it's but, volcano season, what, what did you expect? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, like I said, it's kind of put us a little bit behind, and um, she got an extra week out of England, which was awesome, and, um, you know, definitely made some connections that would help will help us in the future and stuff, but... Um, yeah, we really, really, we're, we really pace ourselves and really, I'm a deadline person just in general, so um, we're really, really keeping on, on track. Like I said, just a tiny bit behind. I, I think um, I had posted last week that we would be back to everybody and we're not, so this will be the week that we catch up, so. Wow. Um, I, I'm just intrigued by the whole process of the way you're putting this together. Yes. I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what the end product looks like. I, I you know, it, it, as, as a writer, and sometimes a very good one, sometimes a very bad one, depending on the day, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I looked at this and just kind of went, okay, do I approach this as the host of a podcast? Hmm. Yeah, I was I was very torn when I first saw this. So very guys, torn. so guys, here's what's going on for the Last Man Anthology Two. We're gonna all have to collaborate and write a story called The Last Podcast. 
Yeah. <laughs> to rule them all. We could. <laughs> the last podcast. Totally. I guess there you go. <laughs> we can talk it's about the devastation of terrestrial radio. Yeah, just as long as we don't mention Clear Channel again, I'll be fine. <laughs> oh pox God. upon them. Well, that's what I'm saying. We can ride a pox upon them uh, if that's what you want. Good. We absolutely could. Hunter, I, I see. thank you for uh, coming on tonight. I think uh, this is a great idea. I cannot wait to see what the final project looks like. I am so intrigued by it. I think it'll be good. I, I really do. I think um, I think there's been a lot of, you know, historically going all the way back. Um, it, it amazes me how much there are. I, actually, one of the things I do ask is if anybody has any titles of catastrophic literature or disaster, plague, whatever it is, you know, send me names. And the more, like, I, I'm still surprised that, you know, something comes up, oh, I never heard of that one, or, or you know, oh, that sounds really interesting. So, like, my bookshelf's getting bigger on, you know, people emailing me things, and I'm like, oh, that's, I have to read that now, because I'm, I'm interested to reading this kind of fiction also. So. You really need to look at, I noticed that you, you had a list of bibliography of stuff, and high up on your list was uh, Philip Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Oh, that's a good one. But one of the ones that I didn't see that, that I was kind of surprised was uh, Arthur C. Clarke's Caves of Steel. Ooh, that's a good one. That I'm going to yeah. have to add. That's right. right. That's right. Could oh, you God. also choose a Childhood Zen then? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's just so many. And like I said, the more you keep looking or... You know, I started looking at um, more plague stories and trying to go back and read, like, uh, Jack London's The Scarlet Plague, or even, you know, you could even go right into, you know, more, like, if you want to call it literary, like A Year of Wonders by Geraldine Brooks. I'm like, oh, okay, that was a plague story, you know. So it's weird how, you know, it can go in and out of the sci-fi genre also um, and still sort of follow, um, you know, that one's a little bit more historical. I love, I think I like the future ones um, or ones that deal with Earth. Right. Or Edgar Allan Poe's Mask of the Red Death. Oh, oh nice. I'm writing these down. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I used to be a lit teacher. Can you tell? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I was oh. going to say Mask of the Red Death, but I thought it was pretty obvious. Oh, well. Here's our second lit teacher. <laughs> Sorry. Too bad the Zombrarian's not here tonight. Jeez. Yeah, no kidding, huh? Good uh. Hey, Hunter. Yes. Um, one thing I've noticed is that um, apocalyptic uh, fiction, especially in films, uh, really seems to be cyclical. Because I mean, it used to be the cliche of the apocalypse, apocalypse scenario, like especially in the '50s with the big bug movies and all that, and then the '80s, uh, Cold War, and the whole ten years after World War Four story glut. And uh, right now, it seems to have come back in the form of zombies. There's a big zombie thing going on right now, which seems to be running its course. Uh, do you see this, like, every, do you think that's, like, going back through hi- history, that it's, like, every so many decades or something, that there's almost, like, a societal need for s- stories like this? Oh, I definitely do. Actually, I would say that we're going from zombies into the global warming disaster movies. And I know, you know, you could say, like, 2012 or Day After Tomorrow are probably, you know, two prominent ones. But there's even in TV, like, uh, BBC's doing uh, a series called The Survivors, where, yep. again, there's that, 
sort of like, oh, something happened. Um, and, it, you know, sometimes it's, uh, Doomsday is another one, it's one of my more favorite films where, you know, oh, there was a virus or there's a plague or something and then this is what happened. So that, you know, I still think global warming and issues with that, I think, you know, maybe that's what science fiction does where we're t thinking about, well, what are we doing today and how are we not going to be here in 10 years? What's going to cause it? Um, is it global warming? Is it going to be an oil spill? Um, you know, that kind of a thing. So. I do think we go back and, like you're saying, like every so often, we have to start asking and answering those questions, and that's where I think catastrophic literature comes in. Yeah, it's uh, we're at we're at at certain points within society when the world becomes a little overbearing. Literature tends to take over and say, you know what, can we voice? <laughs> You know, there was actually a really funny um, XKCD cartoon. I don't know if anyone else reads webcomics, but um, XKCD is actually kind of a local one. I think the guy who does it lives in Somerville. And it was actually making fun of movies like... Um, oh, what's the one with the girl in the red dress? I can't... I lost the name. Matrix? No, no, no. no, no. no. The zombie movie. Oh, Resident Evil? Yes, yeah. yes, Resident Evil, oh. 28 Days Later, and he, he was totally making fun of all those virus movies, where they were like, the outbreak started with Patient Zero, and there are these two scientists going, oh, well, Patient Zero has ingested, you know, um, Agent X. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Well, <laughs> I don't know, I, X. I barely knew her. I don't know what she did. but She um, looks 15. And how, how this movie is over in like five seconds because the girl just goes and gets out a shotgun and it's actually the, on the front page right now. So if you just go to xkcd.com, it was actually Toxin Seven. Now he's a bloodthirsty monster and he's in isolation. But I can't hold the door for long. And then she just blows him away with the shotgun. And the rest of the movie is a romantic comedy. Yeah, uh, you know There's the a good way to get rid of it. I think I think that. Uh, that the dome has a an interesting point. You know, as as a as a human race, we tend to our literature tends to reflect the the needs that we have in our own personal lives. And I think that as as the world becomes maybe a little bit less predictable, um, our our literature and our movies and our television shows reflect that. And it's an, it's really interesting to to look at literature as a form of social commentary. And interesting I think for that some people. <laughs> I think that I think that the apocalyptic literature is really interesting in that point. If you take a look at um, some of the literature, well, actually, almost the vast majority of literature that comes out of uh, Japan, especially um, post World War II, you can see that that the impact that that kind of a of a of an, an a historical event has on a society is overwhelming. Almost all of their literature is influenced by post-apocalyptic, um, you know, event, and they're very, as as a literary society, they're very much influenced by that. And I think that um, there are things that are happening in the world today that continue to affect us that way. It's it's absolutely true. I think you know we're. We're at the apex of that cycle now, and I think this is the perfect time for this anthology to be put together. So what's the timeline at this point now, Hunter? Uh, the timeline, we should be wrapping up, um, I hope, 
that we have like our final finals by the end of June and then July. It's not that we're not working on all the other stuff, like we are working on the, the marketing, the cover, the, uh, you know, the size of it, everything, all the way down. We really are going to try to stick to that, 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 that deadline that we'll release it on August 30th for Mary Shelley's birthday. Um, cool. Obviously throw a really big party for her. <laughs> so. Very cool. We'd like, we'd like to be there for that. Yeah, absolutely. And since we're all sort of in New England, um, we probably can arrange it for sure. Oh, cool. Awesome. Oh, nice. So, that would be great. At this point, I think, I think Kriana? it's time to bring Travis in to talk about his very special panel. And Hunter, if you're around on May 23rd, there there's a huge to-do in Manchester, New Hampshire called Granite Con. And it's going to be a fantastic show. So let, let, let me bring Travis in right now so that he yeah, can yeah. talk about his contribution. Now we're going to wait for Skype. And... and hi, yeah, oh, hang on, I gotta... Hey, I gotta turn off the stream. There we go. There you go. <laughs> hey, Travis, how are you, buddy? Travis. How are you, everybody? Uh, Listen, Travis is going to be at GraniteCon on May 20... What? 3rd. 3rd. May 23rd. Uh, we're going to be at GraniteCon. Ground Coach Redemption is going to be at GraniteCon. Travis is doing one of the uh, special programs there with Granite State Skeptics. Tell us about it, my friend. Yeah, uh, basically what it comes from is uh, at uh, DragonCon, there was some people that do the podcast Skepticality started a skeptic track there uh, where they did a couple days with a bunch of different skeptics panels. And I took that as inspiration to talk to the guys from Double Midnight Comics about uh, doing a possible skeptics panel. Uh, after some back and forth, we finally got that all worked out and it looks like it's going to happen. Uh, we're going to be on sometime in the afternoon. Um, the panel is going to be moderated by myself with uh, four to six panelists still working out some of them. Uh, we'll be, we will have representation from the James Randi Educational Foundation. Um, haven't nailed down exactly who's coming from there yet. But not James Randi? Not James Randi, sorry. Oh. Yeah. Uh, that would have been cool. Come out, actually? Yeah. I love him. Yeah, it's fantastic. But the, um, it's, e it's either going to be uh, Jeff Wagg, their communication and outreach uh, coordinator, who's talked at one of our meetings about uh, the Million Dollar Challenge, um, or it's going to be their new director of educational, uh, uh, their director of education, uh, Michael Blanford. Um, I'm hoping for Michael because I have to talk to him about some other stuff in regards to his <laughs> meeting eight. So that would be more helpful to me. But Jeff is fantastic, and he would be he would be great. But uh, we're going to talk mostly about uh, ghost hunting and alien abductions, UFOs, things like that. Now, for Very those of you cool. who, who weren't with us in October, the Granite State Skeptics did a great Halloween-themed ghost hunt, and Travis came back to report their results, which were... Less ghosts and more paranoid schizophrenia, I think. <laughs> oh, my. Actually, speaking of that, there was just a story today that I was reading that came up on my Google Reader feed. Oh, no, actually, it came from Jeff Wagg on Twitter. Oh. Um, he was, uh, it's an article on parascience.org.uk about um, one of their researchers did 
some ghost hunting, and instead of using a regular digital camera, he used one of the new 3D digital cameras. So it, has, so it has two lenses that take a picture at the exact same time. Now, if you have an orb, which is believed to be some kind of ghost thing, if it's in the foreground, you are in the uh, in the picture. You would expect the orb to be in both images, but it's not. It's oh. only in one of them, which kind of confirms the theory that we've had for a while that the orbs are actually dust that's very close to the lens with um, reflection from the flash. So all those like museums in Salem that are showcasing all these pictures of little bright spots on photos, they're they're dust. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, but dust can be creepy. <laughs> you you haven't seen underneath my bed. <laughs> there are there are dust animals breeding under my bed that would that would you know fill your shorts. I'm does it, sure. Does it get loud? Inside? <laughs> are there skeletons under your bed, Java? Shh. <laughs> but uh, I, I I think we don't want to know what's underneath. You know, yeah. if they're Both your closet, it means they're gay, right? <laughs> <laughs> All of all of the skeletons under my bed are out of the closet. Oh, okay. Oh, good. <laughs> At least they're being honest with themselves. <laughs> okay. So, so, so anyway, Sorry. if I could if I could reel it in a little bit. So, um, yeah, I know, right? Especially with this group. So the uh, so as a result of uh, Granite Con, we moved our monthly meeting, which is usually the second Monday of the month, to the following Monday after Granite Con. So any of our new friends that we meet there um, are welcome to join us at our Skeptics in the Pub meeting, um, which will be at 7 o'clock at night on Monday, the 24th, um, which we will probably have whoever we get from the JRuff as a speaker. And it's at uh, Millie's Tavern in Manchester, under the Bridge Street Bridge. You know that bridge. Yep. Yeah. That tavern. Very well. Yeah, that, that space works out really good for us. And we get some other exciting things that are hopefully coming up that I could kind of sort of talk about, but it's not confirmed. So don't do tell, do tell. Right. Go well, ahead. You, 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 we got you slated for another couple of minutes, so go with it. You heard okay, it so, first, people. So I'm, I'm in talks with a former uh, Sci-Fi Saturday Night uh, guest back in the day when I was on the show, um, John Ronson, who may be speaking. Oh, the insane guy. I loved the him. The goat guy. Yeah, the so we're going to bring guy. some goats in and stare at him. No, we're not going to. Oh! <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. You but, know, uh, when it, the advertisements for that movie started coming out, I was like, you know, we knew that guy before he was cool. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, so yeah, it turns out that he may be in Manchester um, anyway. So while he's here, he's uh, he might do a talk for us. Um, if you keep an eye on our website, granitestateskeptics.org, um, it'll be announced there. Uh, so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. It's, it's, it's been progressing. It's a matter of when he's going to be here and if he's going to be here. He's doing uh, interviews for his new book on uh, psychopaths. <laughs> so he's interviewing you, right? Wow. Psychopaths. He actually, he actually did a, a reading of part of his book on an episode of This American Life, and it was fantastic. I don't remember which one it was, but if you go to the website and look for John Ronson, you'll find it. And he, he interviews some guy that's in Broadmoor, which is a mental institution in the UK. Um, and it's, it's 
fascinating. It's fascinating. It, the one thing that was a disappointment was is that uh, the men who stare at goats. The audiobook was not read by him because his voice is fantastic. His voice is so cool. I don't know why they didn't use him. I did a one-hour interview with him, and and uh, it was. I, I was like mesmerized by him because it was just he, he makes he makes the most absurd stuff sound so believable. Well, he's he's kind of odd to begin with. Like it, um, the person you that the, well, the person that ran. I mean, this is a little weird, but so the person that used to run Boston Skeptics, she moved out to the UK, and she had a Thanksgiving thing over there, and. John went to it, and it's just like you're. Why are you going to a Thanksgiving thing from <laughs> in the UK? It's like it just doesn't make any sense. It was very bizarre. He seems to be fascinated by the U.S. for some reason. Wow. Huh. But he remembers the interview back that we did in the day. Really? Radio station. Yeah, I talked to him about that. Yeah. What did he uh, say about us? Nothing really. He oh. just he just said that he remembered the interview. <laughs> oh. Uh, but he remembered who was on it and stuff. It wasn't like he was just saying that. So it wasn't. But he didn't really say anything either way about the interview. All right. Uh-oh. Should I try to get him back on the show? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, he if was, he's going to be in town. What? He's going to be in town. We'll definitely get him back on. Even if absolutely. he's not in town, he definitely Skype in. Oh, oh awesome! Well, Travis, could you please forward us his information? Yeah, I'll get you his information. I awesome. Appreciate that. Thank hey. you. With that, it's about time to wrap it up now, isn't it? You know what? X, I, th- I think it's about time for you to do our... Uh, our spiel. Who, pay- who pays for the uh, pays for the time that we're on. Yes, indeed. Well, go ahead. Well, Dome, you said you were going to kick it off, actually. No, well, actually, you're going to kick it off, and I'm going to finish it. <laughs> Is there something yeah. wrong here? Because no I haven't seen a dime. All right, all right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, on the coming soon calendar, we're skipping over a week to May 15th, where uh, we will wrap our charity auction and speak with Ed and Adrian Ludwigsen of WhatHappenedToSarah.com. May 22nd will be our Granite State Comic Con special featuring the director, producer, all-around great guy Michael Dougherty of Brown Coats Redemption. And maybe some special guests soon to Maybe, return. maybe, maybe. Maybe, who knows? It's maybe always the party. entire New England Brown Coats troop. I don't know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> they might be in my house. It, it just might happen. I don't know. And, and what could possibly top that? Well, the following week on May 29th, we'll do another one of our author specials. It'll be a tribute to Fritz Leiber that night, and we will have a special guest, someone by the name of Parlin Ellison, will be Who calling in that? that night. You know that guy. No, 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 that guy. No, no, the guy not that guy. The other guy. With, with that other guy. With that other guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, don't forget, you can meet the sci-fi night crew in Sunday 23rd at the Granite State Comic Con. Check out the guest list at dmcomics.com. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic Con and of Comic Art House, your one and only store of original comic artwork. Visit Bob and Kim at ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And a special uh, shout-out goes to our friends Jackie and Janet, whose wedding we were at today. Congratulations on the happiest day of your life. It's all downhill from here. Oh, <laughs> that's not true. They have wedded bliss. For at least a week. <laughs> That's generous. Oh, 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 oh. and uh, a special shout out to Yvonne Daly of Callahans.org. Absolutely, yes. Heart, heart. Excuse me? I said heart.
heart, heart, heart indeed. She gets up. Uh, been helping us get the word out to all the Spider Robinson fans, and uh, that segues into you, Dome. Our thanks tonight to gifted writer and anthologist Hunter Lagore uh, from the Last Man Standing anthology. Hunter, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. You've been great. This is uh, oh, and I will so oh, thank you. touch about being a reader. I am going to hold you to that one. Yeah, absolutely. And and we definitely want to want to be involved with this project if we can. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. And our thanks to Travis Roy from Granite State Skeptics. We're looking forward to seeing you at Granite State Comic Con, Trav. Yeah, look forward to it. Cool. And our not thanks to Mike Hinman, you are now on our shit list. (laughs) 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 Wait, wasn't he already? Yes, pretty much, but now we love him. Double shit list. (laughs) Next week is our, our author's retrospective we are honoring robert heinlein with special guest and his biographer spider robinson it also marks the beginning of our gene robinson charity auction and a guest appearance by jan schroeder from the i dream of gene foundation and possibly a few other special guests as well now now i just want to say if you haven't gone on our website sci-fi-saturdaynight.com and checked out what's what's for sale in our auction what are you waiting for Please do. It's stickied. It's at the top of the page. You just got to click one link. We have a whopping 25 items today for sale, six of which are jam sketches by such famous authors. Artists. Artists. Uh, sorry, whoa, artists. By, like, who? X. Oh, let's see. There's Mike Mignola, the creator of Hellboy. Uh, Sergio Oreganes, the uh, the long-standing artist of Mad Magazine and Grew the Wanderer. Uh, We have people like Norman Lee, Mike Lilly, friends of the show like Bob Allman, Sarah Richard, Tracy Lee Quinn. And we even got Amber Benson of Buffy the Vampire Slayer to doodle on it herself. She made a smiley face. And then and she damn it, it, that and counts. She, and she was so cute. She was really excited, and she was really um, kind of almost as floored as we were about how well those pictures came out and the outpouring of support and emotion that everyone had for Jean. So that's what we have looking forward to next week. It's hoping to be a wonderful show. Hoping you're all going to join us. And I'm hoping that the coming weeks are going to be very good for Gene. So anyhow, thank you for listening to tonight's edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night from the Basement, Pachinko Parlor, the all-night private game at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Area 51. From the Four Color Vault of Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, Illustrator X and the Dead Redhead, you've had a long time for joining us. And from Erie, Indiana, thanks, and... uh, Java, always good to have you with us. Right on you. All righty. And from the Austin Brighton Hellmouth in Boston, Kriana, thanks for all that you do. Later, taters. This is the Dome saying, Gene, our thoughts and prayers are with you always. Good night, everyone. Night. Call recording has been completed. Uh, good show, everyone. Wow. Wow, that was an hour 15 the hard way. <laughs>